From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. We have got 13 minutes to go ahead of the close on this first trading day of September. Stocks have paired losses. NASDAQ is higher. It is up eight points now, advancing two-tenths of one percent. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, which have been down 105 points, now lower by two points. Little change there. The S&P 500 index down two points, a drop of one-tenth of one percent. The tenure up 5.30 seconds with a yield uh, there of 1.56 percent. Gold up 6.20 the ounce to 13.14, a gain of five-tenths of one percent. And crude oil, West Texas Intermediate, down $1.18 a barrel, 43.52, a drop today of 2.6 percent. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kathleen Hayes, my co-host Pim Fox on vacation. Poor Pim, he's not live here with me at the 2016 U.S. Tennis Open. Flushing Meadows Corona Park Queens love coming out here every year for many reasons. It's an exciting event. Uh, tennis has become quite a passion having come out here so many times and also the interesting people that show up not just tennis players or people like Nick Volatieri uh, who is one of the people who really created this whole tradition and, and business of coaching great champion tennis players it's the people who come from places like Cumberland Advisors people who love the markets and also love tennis just like we do we're very happy to welcome back to our special U.S. Open show John Mousseau Executive Vice President Director of Fixed Income at Cumberland Advisors. Welcome back. Kathleen, it's great to be here. And it's not raining on us now. It stopped raining, so uh, all things are going to be going a little I, while. I think we're going to ask our boss for a retractable roof for our, our tennis broadcasts out here. Or at least three more feet of roof. There you go, three more feet of roof. Well, let's first of all, let's get to the bond market. You know, we got the weaker ISM manufacturing report today. We've got the big jobs report tomorrow. I think the markets, everybody kind of shrugged off ISM because the focus is so, so strong on jobs. For the bond market, okay, which has been in a very tight range, still a lot of people bullish, though, waiting to rally more if the economy looks weak, vulnerable maybe to a strong... What, what's the bond market looking for? I think the bond market is looking really at two things, Kathleen. It is looking at the fact that there is strength here. We've seen it in better wage numbers, better uh, labor participation rate, uh, slow growth, dropping unemployment. And if you look since the end of June, it would reflect that. The 30-year bond is essentially where it is, maybe a basis point lower. Every other point in the bond market is actually a little higher, not dramatically higher, but higher since the end of June. So I think we're expecting the Fed to raise rates at least once, and maybe the lunatic fringe out there maybe even twice. The lunatic fringe. So uh, what kind of report tomorrow 
With the, the Bloomberg Consensus Survey is for 177,000. The previous month was like 252,000. The one before that, 294. But then the May report was very weak. So what kind of number would make bond traders like buy bonds like crazy because it wasn't strong enough or just start selling off because it's, it's too strong? I think unless you get an exceptionally weak number, I think you're just going to see more of the same range-bound, slow drift up in short-term rates. And, and remember, there's other things pointing in the short-term interest rate market as you head into the middle of October and the change in net asset value pricing of money market funds. That has the short-term bond market um, a little off. Okay. Now, when you look at uh, who's buying bonds right now, we know a lot of uh global investors, because when they look at their own sovereign bonds, their own government bonds, their yields are lower than here, or they're even negative. Is that going to continue? I think we're bottoming out. I think people have seen some of the dangers of negative interest rates, not necessarily here in the U.S., but if you looked in Japan and went back about a month ago, a little less than a month ago, you had a small period of about seven days where the 30-year government bond rose from 005 to 0.45. That doesn't sound like much, but your durations are so long at those low levels that the change in the price was about 12 points. There's a lot of volatility there at very low interest rates, and I think that's scared some people, and I think you've seen rates rise a little bit since then. Is is this going to be a world bull? Let, let's say we know the Federal Reserve will probably raise rates. We don't know. That's what it sounds like, though. One interest rate increase, as you said, most likely one. Most mm-hmm. people are saying uh, December. But they hiked one rates once a year ago. I mean, the pace so far when they talk about gradual, if we get one interest rate increase a year, that's that's the most gradualist path I've ever seen in my life. One of the points that you can make is the fact that here you are with a 10-year government bond at a little over one and a half, and yet a core, trailing core CPI, that's about 2.2. And it, it went above 2% a few months ago and has stayed stubbornly there. Unless there's forces that start forcing inflation down, you know that if you're in a Fed hike cycle, whether it's slow or medium, eventually some longer-term rates rise uh, to reflect where inflation actually is. So what's the strategy right now at Cumberland Advisors? John Mousseau, you've been doing this for many years. You have clients who want you to make money for them. A lot of them are investing in bonds. What's the bond strategy right now? The bond strategy at Cumberland is we have, for the first time in a few years, started to rein in duration. Uh, take some profits off the table. We do it with a barbell strategy where we own some longer securities and shorter securities. I just made mention the long-term yields haven't really moved much. That's that's really been an anchor point. And the idea is to have more ammunition. Uh, this isn't a prediction, but one thing that might keep us up at night when we saw what happened with the Japanese bond market, if you looked at all the developed bond markets, Germany, France, England, U.S., Japan, if they all caught a cold at once, it would not be a pretty trade. Certainly wouldn't. Um, when you think of what's the biggest risk right now, the outlook, the, G- the U.K. data came in um, surprisingly strong today. We've had a number of numbers. You keep waiting for Brexit to, oh, no confidence, we're not going to buy anything, we're not going to invest in anything. And instead, they're holding up quite nicely. What is the risk right now, the outlook? I, I think the risk is, if you're talking about Britain specifically, it is less than that forecast by a lot of people. Um, I like to think of what's gone on in Britain as they voted to go from full country club membership to a social membership. And I, <laughs> I, I, I think 
economically, they're going to be okay. Might be a little bit of a downdraft, but they will be fine. Are you guys watching the BOJ, Bank of Japan, whether or not it stimulates more right now? It seems like the Bank of Japan's profile in, among investors has gotten a lot higher as people wait to see, boy, are they going to make their negative rates more negative? Are they going to buy more ETFs, hold more equities? I, I think if they're going to go on a route of more stimulus, you're going to see them buy more things other than bonds. So think about REITs, think about ETFs, think about the S&P in this country. And, and I think that's that's their route. Uh, I think they've seen some of the volatility of zero interest rates, and I think they're going to level off on the bond side already. What keeps you up most at night, John? Uh, on specifically on the municipal side, you worry about pensions. We see some slow, slow progress, but it, it, it is slow. Uh, specifically, you look at things that are going on in the Gulf of Mexico with the storm, and you worry about municipalities' preparedness. You look at a state like Louisiana where uh, they're already battling problems from the floods. Financially, they're in tough shape because of the drop in the price of oil and the fact they got rid of a billion-dollar budget surplus. And you hope that you don't look at as you go into the end of the hurricane season, they get hit with a Category 3 or 4 a hurricane, which could really cause damage for a state that's not financially prepared. Well, certainly here uh, for the U.S. Tennis Association, they've done a terrific job financing all this expansion they're doing. And the, and the real, the big one this year, the star, is this retractable roof, which Rafa right. Nadal used last, last night. night. Andy yeah, Murray, uh, they easily sold all the, the finance they, they, they needed to do that. Um, what about the importance of the U.S. Open to you as a tennis fan? You know, what it means to you as someone who's watched tennis forever and... I've been coming for 35 years. Um, I started coming when I was about 24 years old. It is a great thing, not only for the New York area, but for tennis fans in the United States. It is our national championship, uh, but it is a particularly New York event. And they've embraced that. And every year they make it better without having to be asked to make it better. Uh, this year it's the roof, and it's the new brand-new grandstand, a fabulous place to watch tennis. And so I think the, the net result is you, as you go forward the next few years, you're going to see 2,000 to seven or 8,000 more fans a day coming in here. And uh, if that promotes the growth of tennis nationwide, so much the better. Would you buy more bonds from to finance out here if you were advising your clients? Is it, or is that where your love for tennis stops? No, no, no. It, it, it's funny because you can distinguish. We're not a big fans of stadiums and arena bonds that are back because a lot of times the public is paying for them. Here, if you look time, the last time they financed the Arthur Ashe Stadium, which is really 20 years ago, they did it with bonds that were insured, and they were backed by future television revenues. They could do that again if you put another roof on what will become the new Louis Armstrong. So, um, you know, if you look at the growth numbers here, you, you would like the coverage ratios it would provide. Okay, final question. Who are you rooting for on the men's side? On the men's side, I think you're going to see Stan Wawrinka. Uh, wow. You know, he's got two majors under his belt, and uh, he'd like to have a U.S. Open. And on the women's side, I think you're going to see uh, Angela Kerber. Uh, oh, really? That'll nail her second major for the year. Wow, beating Serena. Correct. All right. John so thanks so much. Thanks, Kathleen. It's talking great to bonds, be here. Talking bonds, talking Fed, talking jobs report, uh, talking about how very efficient this U.S. Tennis Association has been with its financing using municipal bonds, which, of course, Cumberland Advisors is very well known for their their investments and management of municipal bond funds and money for so, so many years. John Musso, thank you for joining us. He is Director of Fixed Income at Cumberland Advisors. I'm Kathleen Hayes, live at the U.S. Open, and this is Bloomberg.
From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.